It is Monday, September 25th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, stopping light. I remember we started to see a little sign of slowing. We saw this light pulse starting to be slowed a little bit, and then we thought, oh. Dr. Lena Howe led the team at Harvard that slowed, then eventually stopped light. She delivered the 2023 Maurer Lecture in Physics at the University of Arkansas last week. Plus, the legend of Boggy Creek. The, the financial aspect of the Boggy Creek story, that this, that this weatherman and TV, kids TV guy from Shreveport uh, managed to, you know, make a film that made 25 million bucks. The anniversary of an Arkansas low-budget, big box office legend. First, the news from NPR. KUAF is supported by Arsega's drive-thru location at 1509 MLK in Fayetteville. Open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with a full coffee menu, espresso options, seasonal drink, and small foods menu. Arsegas.com or Facebook for more information. The Momentary in Bentonville presents international pop artist Rina Sawayama with Express and Disco Cowboy Saturday, October 6th. Celebrating her newest album, Hold the Girl, this concert is part of The Momentary's Live on the Green concert series. Tickets at themomentary.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And this is Ozarks at Large for Monday, September 25th. 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. On today's show, goals. In just a moment, Kyle talks with Dr. Lena Howe about how she led a team that achieved a goal once thought impossible, slowing light. And later, Randy Dixon with the Pryor Center with the story of Charles Pierce's goal to make a movie. He did, and it became a smash at the box office and a drive-in legend. And we'll also spend just a couple of minutes with students from John L. Colbert Middle School in Fayetteville who picked out new sneakers because they hit their goals. And we have a goal, too, Kyle. We do. Well, we have several, I guess. Yes. We want to bring you great radio. Mm -hmm. We want to do it the way we've been doing it for decades. Yeah. And we have a goal of reaching enough money during this on-air fundraising week to make sure those two goals continue to happen. That's right. Our goal seems pretty lofty, kind of like the goals we'll hear about later this hour. That's right. $100,000 by the end of this week is our goal to raise. We're only able to do that because of the support of listeners just like you right now who take a moment to go to supportkuaf.com and make a contribution. We do that because we're non-commercial radio, which means that we don't answer to advertisers, we don't answer to shareholders, we answer to you. And for more than 30-plus years, mm-hmm. I don't know, what is it? It's 30, well, since 85. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, we've been doing that with your help. You pay the bills. Listeners, just like you, and local businesses who are underwriters, the vast majority of our budget, so that we can continue to bring you independent, unbiased news coverage from here and from around the world. How do you do it? You can go to supportkuaf.com. You can make a contribution there. You can also give us a call at 479-575-2556. And here's the good news. That goal of $100,000, well, we've been raising money 
all September long. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're starting at zero on this Monday. That's right. That's right. We are, uh, as we're recording this morning, we are uh, about halfway there already, which is great news. You can help us get the rest of the way there now. Every bit helps, whether it's $5, whether it's $500. Your gift makes a difference and helps us continue to bring you things like Ozarks at Large. We know you'll be there for us like you have been in the past. We also know the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Excellent segue. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Lena Howe. The Mallinckrodt Professor of Physics and Applied Physics at Harvard led a team that first slowed a beam of light, then stopped a beam of light. Last week, Dr. Howe delivered the 25th Robert D. Maurer Distinguished Lecture in Physics on the University of Arkansas campus. She also came to the Carver Center for Public Radio. She says the breakthroughs in the lab at Harvard came with the help of a small sodium cloud they created, a very cold cloud super freezing cold. It is uh, temperatures uh, on the order of a millionth to a billionth of a degree above absolute zero. I have seen it described as a cloud. Does that mean it's hovering? It's, it's yes. above grade? Really? Yes. So we have we actually have the whole thing in a vacuum chamber. because And the reason is we want to uh, uh, pump it out is we don't want to have this sort of background room temperature uh, atoms uh, banging around and hitting our cold atoms and, and heating them up. So it's all in, in a vacuum chamber, in, in a vacuum vessel. And, uh, and then we sent the lasers in uh, through windows uh, in that vacuum uh, vessel and then hit the atoms. Uh, and uh, these laser beams will then suspend the atoms. So they're actually hand, hanging freely suspended in the middle of the vacuum chamber. So when they are cooled, we can actually see the atoms by eye when we have these super cold atoms. Uh, it looks like a little sun, you know, a one centimeter cloud of atoms that's uh, fluorescing uh, yellow, uh, hanging freely suspended in the middle of the vacuum chamber. And we can just look through the window and see these atoms. So I'm imagining this lab or this chamber or this, this workspace. So you have a window. Yes. And you're watching this yes. happen. Yes, in real time. You, you first slowed light in the early 2000s, is that right? Yeah, the first, uh, we published, uh, you know, we, we slowed light to the speed of a bicycle. And then we said, okay, now it's time to publish. <laughs> and so it was published uh, in 1999, okay. uh, the, the, the first slow light experiments. So how many people were there to witness this? Do you remember? Yes, we were. Um, we were uh, three in the lab, me, my postdoc, and my grad student. And, um, and uh, of course, I mean, these experiments, we first have to cool these atoms and create this very, very cold cloud of, of cold atoms. And then we start to have to hit these cold atoms with other laser beams precisely tuned to exactly the right wavelengths. And then we have to send a light pulse in and get that light pulse to slow. And it's tricky experiments, as you can probably imagine. Uh, And of course, you end up uh, work all day and then into the night. And then, of course, everything happens 4 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) And we were in the lab. And and I, I, I remember we started to see a little sign of slowing. We saw this light pulse starting to be slowed a little bit. 
And then we thought, oh, but we still have to do a control experiment. We have to be sure that nobody uh, hit the knob on, on the uh, our oscilloscope, right, that we, we used to, to recording. Because, because that could have changed the time axis, so it looked like slowing, but really wasn't. So we had to do a control experiment. So we had to do the whole cycle once more to do a control without atoms to see, okay, no, no slowing versus slowing, right? And that two minutes seemed like forever. And then finally, after two minutes, we got the recorded uh, light signal without atoms, Oh boy, there was like it was really slow, uh, slow light. So uh, we really had started to slow uh, light significantly. So that was like super exciting. So this is four in the morning. Yes, four in the morning. Can you sleep after that? No, that's really hard. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> and and then then you continue because now you start to slow. Then you want to do better and 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 keep going. So I mean, it it would typically be noon before I would I would get home, uh, and then it's like you can sleep. Uh, if you can sleep at all, you can maybe sleep a couple of hours and then you really want to get back to the lab. So when you slowed to the speed of a bicycle, uh-huh. but you say, let's slow it more and you keep slowing it. Yes. And actually in those first experiments, we slowed it a little bit and then we got better and better at it. And then I, this was in, actually, this was in the summer of 98 and uh, and I remember I had to I had promised I would go and teach a master class in Copenhagen at the Bohr Institute, mm-hmm. and it's like hmm I had promised to do that I really don't want to get out of the lab, but I had promised to do it so I better go so I I, I went to, I had to go to Copenhagen for that week, and I remember sitting in the airplane from Boston flying towards Copenhagen and thinking oh whoa if I would send a light pulse off from Boston at the same time as I leave in the airplane, I would arrive one hour earlier than my light pulse in Copenhagen. And then eventually we got down to to bicycle speed, or rather we could uh, to a a light speed where we could beat light on our bicycle. And then we thought, okay, now it's time to publish. Wasn't there a time when this was thought it couldn't happen? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So now we know it can. And in fact, you've stopped light? Yes. What does that tell us? Yes. I mean, that changes things or changes maybe the way we think. Yes. And, and, and maybe I should also uh, move on a little bit oh, and say, so we have, uh, we, we could then also uh, stop the light pulse, as you say, right? Because one, once the light pulse is completely slowed, compressed, spatially contained within our atom cloud, we can then decide we can stop it completely. And... Uh, and, and the light pulse itself actually writes it information into the uh, atom cloud as if it's a little hologram. So we, we can decide once the atom cloud is inside or, or the light pulse is inside the atom cloud, we can decide, whoops, let's uh, stop this light pulse and turn it off. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in a way that the information is not, not lost because that's already imprinted by the light pulse in the atom cloud, that, that, that little hologram. And uh, and then we can decide, okay, now let's turn it on, and the light pulse will revive, turn back on, and then start moving as if nothing had happened. And that's not all, because then we said, okay, that's great, but, but let's see if we couldn't do better. So in our next set of experiments that we did some years later, we then 
stopped and extinguished a light pulse in one part of space and then regenerated it in a completely different location and send it back on its way. And, and that's the kind of point in time where my colleagues at Harvard would, would say, why would you even try such an experiment? Because it shouldn't work. Right. So what would you tell them? Why would you try it? Yes. So, so I mean, we really believed it would work sort of based on our, you know, modeling and calculations. But it was still, when it did work, it was still, oh, my God, what, how should we really think about this? How, how do we wrap our head around this? And it really took, you know, really pulling in all, you know, kind of all what's known of modern physics, really quantum mechanics. We had to pull in uh, quantum mechanics at all levels to explain this experiment. So, I mean, you, uh, it, it's weird for, for sort of quote unquote normal people, yeah. but even for my, from, you know, my colleagues were puzzled that this shouldn't work, right? You know, why would you try it? What were the conversations <laughs> like the day or two after when, I don't know, you're running to someone in the hall and say, oh, guess what happened at four o'clock yesterday morning? <laughs> I mean, what were those conversations like? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, because people were very puzzled why this would work, and we we had you know just a bunch of great discussions, mm. and and that's that's sort of really fun when that happens. You you know you're sort of um, uh, pushing theory and experiment sort of hand in hand, so it, it works in synergy, and I think that's in some sense where you get the most exciting science out when you can have these two uh, moving hand in hand. After this, that you have. You and your team, you've managed to do this. Do you look at like putting something together like from Ikea and think you might get frustrated and go, you know what? I can do this. If I did that in the lab, I can put this bookshelf together. Does it give you more sense of confidence? It, it does. It really does. Uh, and, and also, I mean, I, I, just, lo- uh, I just love uh, pretty – I mean, I'm very curious in general. And I also love technical gizmos. I mean, for example uh, – you know, the uh, the TVs these days, you know, the high-def TVs, wonderful technology. And, and it just sort of fascinates me to, you know, learn about that, uh, putting a system together. And, you know, it, it, so all kinds of, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, most of the world, actually. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming to Northwest Arkansas. Well, thank you very much. Dr. Lena Howe was on the University of Arkansas campus last week to deliver the 25th Robert D. Maurer Distinguished Lecture as a guest of the U of A Physics Department. She is the Mallinckrodt Professor of Physics and Applied Physics at Harvard. And this is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. It is the on-air fundraising week at KUAF when we specifically ask you if it is your turn to make a contribution to keep public radio like this on the air. KUAF continues to do what public media has done for decades, bringing people together to help make sense of the world. This is the commitment that's always guided our work here at KUAF, and it remains central to our mission as a public radio station. And the one factor, more than any other, that enables KUAF to be a constant in our community is the grassroots support of listeners. Voluntary donations from our listeners make up the largest and most reliable source 
of KUAF's funding. That's why we're asking for your contribution right now. We're asking you to make it an ongoing monthly contribution. It's the best thing you can do to give to KUAF a solid future. So start your monthly gift today so that KUAF can continue to be available for our entire community. Giving 5 or $10 a month will do just that. You can give monthly today at supportkuaf.com. Laura and I, we are sustaining members and give every month, and it's easy. Yeah, Emily and I are the same way. We give a little bit every month, adds up to quite a yep. bit over the course of a year, and that difference helps to support not just what we do here at KUAF. It helps to bring events that you love and rely on throughout the year. It brings you other programming that you hear the other 23 hours of the day at KUAF. Uh, it wouldn't be possible without your support. Support KUAF.com and thank you. Little Wing Productions presents Robert Cray, October 1st at 7.30 at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guest Seth Lee Jones. A five-time Grammy winner and Blues Hall of Fame inductee, Cray has been performing for nearly five decades with hits such as Smoking Gun and Right Next Door. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. Rave Cultural Foundation presents their Fall Master Concert featuring the world-renowned musicians of the Divine Trio in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges, Saturday, October 1st, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Tickets and information at raveculturalfoundationorg slash events. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is working with his colleagues in the U.S. House of Representatives to convince members of his own party to avoid a government shutdown. In an interview with Arkansas PBS, Republican Representative Steve Womack of 3rd Congressional District says he is concerned about the potential impact of a shutdown. People that advocate for government shutdowns, that's not a winning formula. It, it costs money. Uh, I think it was like 0.4% of real GDP the last time. That's that's some serious money out of the economy. Uh, it causes agencies to have to do a lot of reprogramming, reshuffling, those kinds of things. That's expensive. Uh, the uncertainty in the markets. Congressman Womack said there are four or five members of his party who are holding out and stopping a spending plan from being passed. Free COVID-19 tests will once again be available starting today. Households can order up to four free COVID-19 rapid test kits for home delivery online at covidtests.gov. The free at-home test delivery program ended last May when the national public health emergency was declared over. More than 755 million tests were mailed, nearly half of those in underserved communities. The Department of Health and Human Services recently announced awarding $600 million to a dozen coronavirus test manufacturers to boost domestic manufacturing capacity and supplies. CDC officials say the new rapid tests are able to detect the latest variants and are intended to be used through the end of the year. The Fort Smith and Benton County Boys and Girls Clubs are celebrating the launch of two innovation labs tomorrow afternoon at the Boys and Girls Club in Fort Smith. The labs are made possible by a $40,000 grant from Cox Communications. Hobbs State Park Conservation Area is partnering with Arkansas Game and Fish Wildlife to host a program discussing chronic wasting disease on Sunday afternoon. The disease affects members of the deer family across the state and has no known treatment or vaccine at this time. There have not been any reported cases of chronic wasting disease in humans at this time, but hunters during deer season may unknowingly interact with infected animals. The program is free. It will be held Sunday afternoon at 2 
in the Hobbs State Park Visitor Center. Temple Live in Fort Smith will host singer-songwriter A.J. Croce next spring. He'll be performing songs of his father, Jim Croce, who died in a plane crash 50 years ago this month. The Croce Plays Croce 50th Anniversary Tour will feature the younger Croce playing songs from three of his father's albums, including I Got a Name. Dates for the tour were released this morning. The Fort Smith concert will take place on March 26th. Plenty of Razorback sports in action over the weekend. The number 11 Razorback Women's Soccer Club won on the road yesterday against Texas A&M 1-0. They now stand as the only team undefeated in conference play. Next match, Thursday evening in Columbia against Mizzou. Next home match, October 5th. The number 16 Razorback Volleyball Squad began their conference play this weekend in Barnhill Arena. The Hogs swept South Carolina in three straight sets on Friday, including eight service aces. On Sunday, they hosted Texas A&M, winning three sets to one. Their next match will be in Barnhill once again on Wednesday night. And finally, two current Razorback golfers will be playing to qualify later today for the LPGA tournament in Rogers. One player, Miriam Ayora, has already been qualified to play in the Walmart Northwest Arkansas Championship that takes place at Pinnacle Country Club beginning on Friday. Well, my son lives right down a half a mile, and his dogs kept a barking and howling, and he turned them loose and sicked them on something, and it would holler and scream like a woman. Then the dogs would turn back, and he couldn't get them to run it enough to catch it or run it out. And uh, so he just finally went back to the house. Hi, Randy Dixon. We're still a month away from Halloween, but... Close enough. Yes, exactly. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. What are we talking about with the archives this week? Well, we're talking about the Falk Monster. Falk. Yes. That's how it's pronounced, Falk, Arkansas. Um, It's like Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And there were many sightings back Mm -hmm. in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We, in North Arkansas, more often called it the Boggy Creek Monster. Okay, because of the movie, right? Which is what we're talking about now. Um, there was a movie uh, based on the legend of the Falk Monster, but the movie is called The Legend of Boggy Creek. Low budget, Arkansas made by uh, a gentleman named Charles B. Pierce. Right. Well known in Arkansas, probably not as well known. Uh, around the country, but he has quite a cult following. Just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, um, because many of you either haven't seen the movie or it's been so long, Mm -hmm. uh, you were probably a kid, but uh, if you're a fan, there's good news. Here's part of a trailer. Here in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, Along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954, and that this creature Whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. It's hard to explain now. I mean, obviously, media was quite different then. And and we touch on this a little bit later with some of the other clips. But this was a full-blown, at least in Arkansas, phenomenon. 
Oh, it was. It it, and it it was nationwide. It was. It was pioneering in what is real, what isn't, metafiction, found footage. It it started so many genres. It did, and it started more specifically the docudrama. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he went to such extent that he shot in the same places. With some of the same people, which, which made it quite unique. Yes. Uh, so this is 1972, and actually from the KETV archives, uh, this is an interview with Charles B. Pierce, where he talks about the film and this unique production style he had. We were dealing with uh, authentic happenings in documentary style, so. Our problem was to make this picture entertaining uh, and and stay uh, with the true, you know, truth about it. And it is true, and it is exactly the way it happened. We even shot uh, a great, uh, the biggest part of this film was shot in the exact houses that it happened, uh, using the exact people. Uh, we even would go into the exact room to shoot it. That's how authentic it is. Uh, in the cases. Uh, where a person could not play themselves because maybe directorially or they had outgrown the age, then that's when we would cast. But other than that, they were, and even then, they were always on the set with us. He was a TV guy originally. He um, was in South Arkansas, uh, El Dorado, Texarkana, northern Louisiana, Shreveport, uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, no, I don't think he was in Baton Rouge. But he he was originally in sales mm-hmm. um, and doing the weather, and he even hosted, and this was kind of the thing in the 50s and early 60s, he hosted an after-school kids show. Um, you know, my old boss, Dale Nicholson, was Captain Nick and his puppet pals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was known as Mayor Chuckles <laughs> on the Laugh-A-Lot show. <laughs> So that's where he had his humble beginnings. All right. But he decided to make a movie. It's not the easiest thing to put together the funds, to cobble together money to make a movie that's going to be shot in Arkansas with a concept of Bigfoot. So I wanted to talk to our friend Bob Cochran, mm-hmm. you know, who's a professor here at the university, and he's the director of the Center for Arkansas, uh, Arkansas and Regional Studies. But he wrote a book about films in Arkansas. It's called... Lights, Camera, Arkansas. That's correct. And he, he touches on uh, Charles B. Pierce and his work, and uh, specifically about the Boggy Creek film. It cost about $170,000 to make. He, he uh, you know, used a lot of local people in, the, in, in the, his pseudo-doc and uh, the thing made apparently $25 million. So, you know, he, he turned 170000 into $25 million. We give, we, uh, actually, I was surprised when I looked in our book. We, we gave him a page and a half in a book. And this is a book that's got 90 pages in it. So it's not a, you know, it's not a big book. But he got, I guess he was enough of a sort of, what, subcultural film figure that we gave him, we gave him a lot of, lot of ink. Wouldn't you say that he he inspired every every guy who had a script in his town? You know, 
could gather a few people, you know, gather locals to act in. I mean, I think what became most famous for him was the the financial aspect of the Boggy Creek story. That this that this weatherman and TV kids TV guy from Shreveport uh, managed to you know make a film that made twenty five million bucks. That is what you call a good return on a film. Oh, no kidding. Um, I talked to his daughter the other day. Not Bob Cochran's, but I'm sorry, Charles Pierce. Charles yeah. Pierce's daughter. And um, Pamela. just the other day, Pamela. And she is the force in uh, re-releasing this film. It's uh, been remastered. It's now in 4K, has uh, a great audio track. It looks like a brand new movie. But um, this was kind of interesting. She told me that when she was a little kid, because I asked her, how many times have you seen this movie? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, there's no way to know, hundreds. Because when he first made the film, he didn't have a distributor. So what he would do, this was the salesman. And this was, I think, a, a very innovative marketing ploy, is that he would rent the theater and then sell the tickets himself. That's some old school promotion right there. Absolutely. Show the film and then he would have the he would collect all the money at the door. Yeah. So then he got a distributor and then it kind of blew up. But um well, she's resurrecting this film and uh here's what uh Pamela had to say. And we've added bonus features. We have a film commentary by cryptozoologist and uh, historian Lyle Blackburn. And we also have never uh, before seen outtakes that, you know, from the original 1971, 72 when they were shooting. And that's been assembled together by Justin Bean from Reverend Entertainment. We've also added an option of the 5.1 surround sound. So we still have the mono soundtrack, but we've added this because sound was super important to my dad. And gosh, when you have that option available, that to hear that scream and to hear the crickets and all of that in the surround sound, it is mind-blowing. We've upgraded it significantly. I'll be making a trip south shortly, and hopefully we will have it in theaters, movie theaters across the nation very soon. You know, there are two things. Um, I haven't seen this film in I don't know how long, but I saw it at the theater as a nine or ten-year-old. I saw it as a kid, too. Two things that I remember. That sound and that scene. I don't even want to spoil it. No, don't. But you know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Yeah. so it's not gory. It's just... It's an original jump scare. Yeah, it really is. It's fun. So, yeah, there are unique right. things about this movie. And, you know, it is 50 years old. Yes. And you... they are real people. They aren't – the majority of them aren't actors. Right. His next movie, which is The Town That Dreaded Sandown, you need to remember that one. Yeah. Because it's one to watch, it's too. Scarier. It's scarier. Yeah. And it's based – on a real true crime story. And unsolved and to this day. Unsolved crime. and very gruesome. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, it's scary. Yes. But this is scary, too. <laughs> but not everybody thought so, including Channel 7. Yeah. 
Uh, I found this interesting uh, tidbit in the archives. When this movie came out in the early 70s, KATV sent a crew, uh, a reporter named Mike Campbell. I didn't know him, but that was before my time. But sent him to Falk, and um, there was another spotting of it after the movie came out at, at the residence of a guy named Bobby Ford. Mm-hmm. So Mike Campbell went down there, and uh, here's his little stand-up segment, and he's obviously not taking this story too seriously. After the incident at the Ford house, these now peaceful woods were filled with about a hundred monster hunters, but they've all gone. Perhaps now, after the second incident, there'll be more. This is Mike Campbell, still in search of the Falks monster. But he did talk to this fella who um, believed the legend because um, he described the sighting sort of secondhand. Well, I was called here at 12.20 a.m., that they had heard a monster on or something on the porch of walking. They assumed it was a man at first. Then later on, they saw it and shot at it and said it had big red fiery eyes. And when I came up, I couldn't find anything. Then I went back home and went to bed. And at uh, 1.20, they came and got me again. They had shot at it again and it had grabbed Bobby forward, and he had fell off a ladder onto the ground scuffling with, and he jumped up and ran through the, round to the front steps and went in the house, jumped through the door glass of a door, and ran in the house, then he passed out. Well, when we got him to the hospital and got him to, he described it as being a large, hairy, armed monster of some kind, and we came back down here and looked and didn't find anything. That's one of my favorite archives you've ever brought in. <laughs> I just love every second of this description. It can't get more real than that. <laughs> I don't think you could have written that in yeah. a script. Yeah. Uh, but he goes on and talks about uh, an incident with his brother. Yeah, my son, down close to where the folks saw it, Mr. and Ms. Woods and said gas Saturday night. Well, my son lives right down a half a mile, and his dogs kept a barking and howling, and he turned them loose and sicked them on something, and it would holler and scream like a woman. Then the dogs would turn back, and he couldn't get them to run it enough to catch it or run it out. And uh, so he just finally went back to the house. All right, you remember the iconic poster? Uh, for Boggy Creek? Yes. Oh, heck yeah. And if you haven't seen it, just Google Boggy Creek and go to images, and yeah. you'll see it. It's a big furry monster in the water. Well, and, and the, the, Not sepia tone, but earth tones. Yes, yeah. but it was from an actual oil painting. Okay. And the guy who was commissioned to do it, uh, was named Ralph McCrory, and he later became known as the illustrator for the Star Wars series. He worked for oh. George Lucas. Wow. And as a matter of fact, the story is he took that Falk monster drawing and fashioned Chewbacca 
after that drawing. Again, I don't care if this is true or not. I love the story. Yeah, it's a heck of a story. So anyway, that's uh, a a little bit of The Legend of Boggy Creek. As Pamela said, it's going to be out in theaters, but you can also stream it, I believe, on Prime and Apple TV. Right now? Yes. Oh. Uh, Maybe not. It's not the 4K version, but Mm. it's definitely a remastered version of it but i've seen online the differences between the two and it's like as she said a different movie okay but uh, why don't we close out with her because i asked her about you know i've been talking to her several years Mm -hmm. about this project and she's been so passionate about it and i asked her about that and sort of the legacy of her father there were two or three generations in there that really didn't get to experience The Legend of Boggy Creek as it was when it was originally released. It, it really, truly was a phenomena. Um, it really pioneered that whole independent filmmaker spirit. You know, they call it now a found footage, kind of the forerunner. It is a, the direct inspiration for the Blair Witch Project, so that's kind of exciting for those fans that don't know it. Cause, so I'd like to reintroduce it to my dad. Hopefully we'll get his archives established soon. And, um, you know, that he'll be appreciated and not as schlocky. For the longest time, Boggy Creek had that B-movie status. And don't get me wrong, it is a, you know, low-budget film. But a lot of that cheese factor came from that Hand and scan grayscale bootleg. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When, we, when it was released in theaters, it was lauded by critics, fans. I mean, fans loved it. The critics said that the cinematography was so outstanding. And, you know, the, the story is compelling. All right. We are, if you get that advanced copy, let's. Uh, hey, we'll, we'll have a little watch yeah. party. Yeah. Get some uh, popcorn. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We go through Arkansas history with archives from the Pryor Center every Monday. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. And I'll see you next week. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. We are here on day one of our on-air fundraiser. It's a time where we come to you, listener, and ask for you to make a contribution to keep public radio public, keep it available to our entire community, and make it so that anyone and everyone who wants access to it can have it. You can make a gift right now at supportkuaf.com. Your continued support, perhaps it's your first ever support, means that public radio programming like Ozarks at Large continues for you and listeners throughout. Northwest Arkansas, the Arkansas River Valley, eastern Oklahoma, and southern Missouri. And it's programming that isn't just narrow. It's not just about what the Razorback football team did. It's not just about the economy. For instance, this hour, we've talked about stopping light, Mm -hmm. physics, and the legend of Boggy Creek. Yes. (laughs) So it is both informative and surprise, public radio. News you need to know. And news that you didn't know you needed to know. Yes, that's one of my favorite things about public radio is that, you know, every time a 10 or 15 minute block comes and goes, 
you didn't realize that you wanted to know that. Our audience is so curious, so excited to learn new things. We're able to continue bringing you that because of your support day in and day out of this station. Your support means that we can have this unique approach to information and news. Do you want to know how to get home COVID tests? We've told you that this hour. We appreciate that you understand how public radio works, and it only works with your continued support. You can contribute in the amount that you'd like and in many different methods right now at supportkuaf.com. That's right. It's quick. It's easy. It takes just a few uh, scrolls on your phone, takes a couple clicks on your uh, computer, and you can make that gift right now. And thanks. Last week, a Fayetteville school bus pulled into the parking lot of Rock City Kicks on Township Avenue in Fayetteville. On board, Dr. Mary Collins, an ESL teacher at John L. Colbert Middle School, and 13 of her students. The student's mission? To pick out any pair of sneakers inside the store at no cost to them or the school district. Each student is in the school's bullseye club. A select club, according to Dr. Collins. For English learners that make their targets on the ELPA, which is the English language proficiency assessment that all English learners have to take in the state of Arkansas. To get into the Bullseye Club, students need to make three of their four targets in either listening, speaking, reading, and writing to be considered on track for proficiency in English. Students all know about what their levels are. They know what their targets are before they take the assessment. And um, they've asked me all summer long, did I make it? Did I make it? What are my scores? And so, yeah, that's exactly what it is. We celebrate kids that um, work hard and and grow in their language proficiency. You are going to want to look over in here. And there's a couple behind the glass over there, too. You want to check those out. Each student was allowed to pick any shoe, in any style, in any color. Warren Collier, the principal of John L. Colbert Middle School, watched with pride and maybe just a touch of envy. This is awesome. Makes me want to go back and take the test so I can get me a free pair of shoes. Yes. The 13 students were also wearing their special Bullseye Club t-shirts donated by Houndstooth Press. The shoes, no cost to the students or the school district. Dr. Mary Collins says she came up with this idea as an incentive for a couple of reasons. I'm trying to connect to middle school kids that are, you know, weren't alive through for most of my life and they love sneakers. And so I found this awesome place, and I'm addicted to shoes. So I buy shoes, and they're all just like, woo! They look at my shoes, and I thought it would be a fun incentive. So I raised some money in the community, and then from there, we're able to reward kids. She says this year's Bullseye Club members have a variety of first languages, Spanish, Swahili, Arabic, and Pashto included. She says the work they've done in the past year is a great springboard for the future. And these two right here with me right now are new to the country last year. So if you really get in and listen, they, they learn the social language first, and then after that it takes longer, many, many more years for them to become academically proficient in English. According to the Fayetteville School District, money to pay for the shoes contributed by Bolt and Screw Supply Incorporated, Adventure Subaru, and RGC Glass. Additionally, Rock City Kicks applied a discount to the cost of the shoes. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, wine production in Arkansas. Oh, honey, we could sit down now. We really, we need a glass of wine and some food to nibble on, and we could talk all day. But I will tell you, the muscadine, it's particularly fragrant. The aroma is just mind-blowing. It's big and powerful. And it just reminds me, I mean, I've had that in my, my senses since I was a child. So you drive into town, you can smell, especially the camels early when they're ripe. You can, you you know, when you're driving over the mountain, you can roll down your window and smell them. It's just incredible.
Grab your charcuterie board and join Ozarks at Large's Daniel Ruth as he talks to winemakers and more stakeholders in the industry tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. We say it's your public radio station because you contribute the vast, the biggest, largest segment of KUAF's budget, you and listeners just like you. That's right. It takes just a couple of moments to go and head to supportkuaf.com. And remember that programming like this, Ozarks at Large, what we'll hear next uh, later today, is only possible because of your gifts and your contributions. So you can make a small gift, you can make a medium-sized gift, you can make a large gift. However you want to make that gift, do that right now at supportkuaf.com. Those students in the Bullseye Club hit their goals. They got to go to Rock City Kicks and get their sneakers. Really cool sneakers. Oh, there were some really cool sneakers. Um, When we hit our goals at KUAF, all right, maybe not sneakers, but how about this? 52 weeks of great public radio. Ozarks at Large, Morning Edition. Um, It's been a minute. The list goes on. You, we, together hit our goals and we continue to give you great public radio. You can do that right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. Arkansas' Harvey Scales was born 1941 in Osceola in Mississippi County and had his greatest musical success as a songwriter rather than a performer. Scales grew up in Milwaukee and is often misidentified as a Wisconsin native, but his adopted hometown has embraced Harvey Scales as a local hero, where he is still known as Twistin' Harvey, which was his musical moniker in the early 1960s. Around the same time, Scales and his bass-playing friend Al Vance formed the band Harvey Scales and the Seven Sounds. The group released several singles on the local KUKA record label, but its biggest hit was on the Magic Touch label, Love Itis, which cracked the R&B Top 40 in 1967 with the song Get Down on the flip side. In 1970, Harvey Scales and the Seven Sounds had another dance-oriented hit, The Funky Yolk, on Chess Records of Chicago, Illinois. But soon, Harvey Scales dropped the Seven Sounds band name and came into his own as a songwriter and a performer. Scales signed with Stax Records of Memphis, Tennessee, which distributed Magic Touch, and was headed by fellow Arkansas-er Al Bell of Brinkley. Scales was soon writing songs for Stax artists such as The Dramatics, as well as appearing on his own Stax singles like this one from March 1972. Tell 
Stax Records folded in the mid-1970s, but Harvey Scales landed on his feet, especially as a writer. His Disco Lady was one of the biggest hits of the mid-1970s and the biggest song of fellow Arkansas Johnny Taylor of Crawfordsville's career. The 1976 smash was the first song to be certified platinum, indicated by sales of one million or more. The next year, Johnny Taylor had a follow-up number three hit with another Harvey Scales song, Love Is Better In The A.M., and other groups like the Dells, the OJs, the Sonics, Instant Funk, and the Jay Giles Band have been cutting Harvey Scales songs. Scale was at his hottest, and he got a solo deal with Casablanca Records, home to Donna Summer, The Village People, Parliament, and Kiss. Scales recorded two albums for the label, 1978's Confidential Affair and 1979's Hot Foot, a funky disco opera. Harvey Scales had a minor UK hit in the mid-1980s with Spend the Night Forever, but like many American R&B and blues performers in the 1980s and into the 1990s, the marketplace back home was less welcoming. Scales continued recording, albeit more sporadically. Meanwhile, DJs, rappers, and hip-hop producers were discovering the sounds of Harvey Scales in record shops and sampling them. The Beastie Boys, Pete Rock, Soul to Soul, and Biz Marquis are among the many hip-hop artists and rappers who have sampled beats from Harvey Scales' songs. Scales' son, Harvey Jr., is a Milwaukee-based rapper who goes by the name of Scales, with a Z, continuing on the Harvey Scales' musical family tradition. Here in its entirety is Arkansas' Harvey Scales of Osceola in Mississippi County and the Seven Sounds from 1968 doing The Broadway Freeze. Broadway Freeze from 1968 by Harvey Scales and the Seven Sounds, featuring Arkansas' Harvey Scales of Osceola in Mississippi County. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook. With Arkansas. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage.
Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Gravit. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced today's program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Speaking of contributors, thanks to everyone who's contributed to public radio, KUAF, and Ozarks at Large today, this month, in years past. That's right. And, you know, one of the major ways that people support KUAF is through sustaining memberships, Kyle. And if you are already a sustaining member, I want to say thank you. You are in great company. More than 1,300 listeners of KUAF are monthly sustaining members of this station. But perhaps it's been a while since you've been contributing $10 or $15 a month, and now is a great time to add a dollar or two to your monthly support. It's not a surprise that the cost of our essentials have gone up in recent years. If you're able to, I hope you'll consider increasing your monthly gift to help keep KUAF healthy and going strong. You can make that extra gift right now and think about how much KUAF is worth to you. And remember that listener support is the largest and most reliable source of funding for us here at KUAF. You can give right now at supportkuaf.com. When you're giving, you're making sure that this public radio uh, will exist for you and listeners throughout our uh, region throughout the next year. So you're doing it for you. You're doing it for fellow listeners who will be um, listening as well. So thank you again for your contributions. The reason public radio works is because the people who use public radio are the people who pay for public radio. And we leave the amount of the contribution completely up to you. It's a pretty easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's really wonderful because I hear from folks all the time who listen to public radio and are so excited to share what they've heard on public radio with other people. So if you're the kind of person who loves sharing stories with other people, you're the kind of person who loves tuning in day in and day out to public radio, you can make that contribution known by giving a support KUAF. Com. Thanks, thank everyone. You. We're going to be back tomorrow at noon and 7. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, one of 40 schools featured in Colleges That Changed Lives by author Lauren Pope. Hendricks is nationally recognized among private liberal arts colleges for academic quality, engaged learning, and value. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more. The Hillberry Harvest Moon Music and Camping Festival is October 4th through the 8th at The Farm in Eureka Springs, and KUAF is giving you the chance to win tickets. Hillberry welcomes Here Come the Mummies, Arkansas, Elephant Revival, and more. Registration and information at KUAF.com.